0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. And uh, we are working toward relationships in their uh, fulfillment. Uh, Paul is painting a really good picture. Uh, I wouldn't say slowly, though we may process it slowly, but he is uh, putting a a picture together for us and uh, building one week at a time toward uh, everyday relationships. Uh, I'm not going to recap everything that we've talked about so far. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen, though, if you've not had a a chance to do that. Today I'm going to pick up, though, in verse 11, read a couple of verses there and, uh, and and then get started. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says, therefore, and and remember uh, when we are doing uh, an understanding of biblical interpretation, context in understanding scripture is everything. Context is everything. Because if you don't have the context of why it's being said and to whom it's being said and what it means to me, then you could actually make scripture say almost anything you want it to say which is one of the reasons why, you know, I, think, I feel like Scripture is under such attack in our modern era is because everybody is just reading into the Scripture or spiritualizing the text rather than uh, hearing what God intended for the context. So the therefore is really important. So anytime that you're reading Scripture uh, and you see a therefore, what does it, what, what does it really say? You, what do you have to ask yourself? What is the therefore, therefore? That's not great grammar, but it is really good in Bible interpretation. All right, what is the therefore, therefore? So I'm not going to recap all of it, but understand that what we're going to talk about today goes back and includes everything that we've talked about so far. Primarily, the the benefits that we have In a relationship with God, the benefits of the Father, the benefits of the Son, the benefits and giftings of the Spirit, what that means to our individual lives and how the grace then is manifested to me from the Father. And now I realize I must respond to that grace through faith. And, and we're also understanding that one of the primary reasons that Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus was to give them a mystery. Uh, a mystery, the word mysterion means that they are to come up with or to understand the, uh, the, the, the solution to the puzzle of what God is trying to accomplish through Paul's preaching, which is to bring everything into oneness in, in him. And so the whole book is really written about how God is drawing things into Himself uh, and, and, and what the byproduct of that is. So that's really important for us to understand that every gift that God gave us, he intended for us to use as his workmanship, as his masterpiece, so that we could then reflect those as good works in the world around us. So whether we're loving or whether we're serving or whether we're giving or forgiving, when people recognize the things that we are doing and are being, they don't just see us, they see Jesus through us. Now, you can be... You know a uh, uh, benevolent, you can be a humanitarian, you can worry about social justice issues and all of that, but at the end of the day, if it only draws attention to you or to the issue, it falls short of being, being able to be uh, something that is sustainable and eternal. The only way that eternal change and is sustainable is whenever people can see Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the whole cycle starts all over again. And I hope all that makes sense. So because all of this is true, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision. Now, let me just stop for a second and, and say, Paul is being a... I don't know if it's sarcastic, but he is certainly laying it on pretty thick. Uh, He's kind of sauntering up to them. Remember, the Ephesians were Gentiles. They were not Jews. And now they have become Christians. And there is a lot, a lot of misunderstanding between Jews and Gentiles. The world was divided up into two people according to the Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And according to the, to the Gentiles, the world was divided into two people, the Greeks and all of those other people. And so uh, there was a lot of prejudice, a lot of racist, uh, racism, a lot of those kind of issues were everywhere. Everybody thought they were better than everybody else. Does that sound familiar? And so I feel like it's fairly relevant for us to understand what they're going through. And so you guys know what some of the early apostles were dealing with, specifically with the Gentiles, is the the first Jerusalem council got together to talk about what their expectations were going to be of these Roman Christians, these Gentile Christians that were coming to faith, we got to—they got to become circumcised, and they have to go through all the the Jewish rites. So their belief was, you have to become a Jew before you could qualify to become a Christian. And uh, that's you know, Paul spends much of his ministry talking about those things not not really mattering. Okay, so therefore, so so what Paul is doing is he's kind of siding up to the Gentile side here for just a moment and he's laying it on a little bit thick. Uh, That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So what he is saying, he's actually drawing a really thick line saying, I'm not even going to say Jews and Gentiles. I'm going to say those that are circumcised and those aren't circumcised because that's the way the Jews talk about you. You're either circumcised or you're not. They don't see you for who you are. They see you for what evidence or symbol you have displayed. And then he says this to his own Jewish side, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember, again, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, I want to stop there for a moment, do a, a little bit of cleaning up so that we can set a really good, clean path to go forward on. If you remember at the very beginning, Paul actually told them that he was praying three things for them. The one, the first one is that they would know what the hope of his calling was. So, not that they would be. Uh, certain of his calling, but that his calling was producing something for them. God called Paul to produce something for them, and he he wanted them to understand what what his ministry was for, and what that hope was going to be. And I'll clarify that in in a few more moments. The second thing was, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So, so, one is, you need to know what your hope is going forward. Number two, you need to know the riches of his glory that those of you who are saints now uh, can have. And thirdly, verse 19 of chapter one, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? Now, it's it's very similar to the prayer that he told us to pray for one another, which is that they may know him, that they may experience him, and that they may exalt him. So last week we addressed the third part of that. Now Paul is going to move up to the second part of that in answering his own prayer for them. So we've read verses 11 and 12, and so I want to draw your attention. I should have done this earlier that there are two pronouns that we need to pay attention to because Paul Paul very uh, intentionally moves in and out of who he's talking about and talking to here. So just in a, in a few verses, Paul uses the pronoun you, and he talks about you, specifically you Gentiles who are not, you know, remember who you used to be, you Gentiles. And then he says us and we, so he moves into collect, collective speaking and then he moves back to you again. And so it's important to know who he's talking to because that really makes a significant difference. All right, so uh, the, the first you is before faith. The second you is the union between Jews and Gentiles. I mean, the we and then the last you is what he is hoping for them now, all right? So So Paul talks a lot about uh, alienation, what, what they're, not, not alienation, but alienation, uh, being alienated from. He talks about two types of alienation in this particular, ver- these verses. Uh, and I want to just break those down really quick, lest we forget. So the first type of alienation is horizontal. Horizontal meaning relationships here. Paul talks about that they were alienated from one another. Uh, and he, he reminds them of, of two things. I think uh, if you take all of this passage in its context... There's two really abnormal ways of thinking that has created division. Number one, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you will see that God chose Abraham and gave him the Abrahamic covenant. And in that covenant, he said, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. And he chose Abraham not to be a special people, but to be a special blessing to all people. They were chosen to be a blessing, not just to be blessed. So they were going to receive the blessings of God, but so that they could channel and give those blessings away as a conduit of who God is. But the Jews really messed this up in a major way, and they internalized everything, and it created an entitlement, and it uh, it, uh, created a lot of of selfishness and being self-absorbed. It's really important for us to remember that because as we do that, we get further and further away from what God actually called us to be. And I'll be quite honest with you, there have been a lot of times in church history where that has happened to us as well. And if we're not careful, that is a natural thing that happens when we focus more and more on ourselves. we forget why God saved us. It wasn't just for us, it was through us uh, that God has reconciled us to himself. So the first thing is that he is reminding the Jews that God called them to be a blessing to the Gentiles. And secondly, he is reminding the Gentiles that they are actually free to come to God. That the God of the Gentiles and the God of the Jews is the same God without, and they don't have two different ways of getting there. Now this is a real equalizer because the Jews had forgot that they were called to go and the Gentiles had never heard that they were called to come. And so Paul was letting them know that we're on equal playing ground here. And this, this forgetting your purpose has called an incredible diversity to where Gentiles are actually called dogs by Jews and and jews are calling gentiles uh barbarians and jews are called barbarians by the by the by the the romans and there's this great gulf fixed between in fact you you may not the, the talmud talks a lot about this the the law that the Jews had put together, uh, there were so many ways that you're supposed to treat Gentiles. Like if you went on a long journey, before you came back to your home, you had to shake out all of your clothes because you don't want Gentile dust coming back into the Holy Land. (laughs) I mean, there's just one thing after the other because we don't want any mention of those people, the ones that they were called to love, the ones that Jesus died on the cross for, the one that God sent his promise to, Those who had already said yes to those promises had sealed themselves off. And there was this great division. Now, that may not mean much to us now, but I think it is very important for us because we cycle in this. If we're not careful, we start allowing salvation. We start focusing on our own salvation and our own good works and our own family. And we start, you know, we start drawing these things into ourselves, and we only focus on being blessed rather than being a blessing. And all of our energy starts being focused on what we can get. All of our questions are, but what's in it for me? What, how am I going to benefit? Even how we even how we choose our friends and how we choose where we worship and all of those things start focusing on, well, what's in it for me? And when that happens, we cease to be a blessing. And in many ways, we deserve to be recipients of this. Remember who you used to be. So this was the, the great Divide, horizontal, alienated from each other. And so the doors of relationship and the doors of communication had completely closed from the Jews being able to be an encouragement to the Gentiles. And so he he uses circumcision because that's the thing that everybody made fun of. Uh, And so even Paul kind of makes fun of it here, emphasizing that God was looking for a cut back heart not cut back skin. In fact, he even says when they say circumcision, I mean, I think he's kind of just really making fun, what well, made by hands, because you guys wouldn't know spiritual from not spiritual. You're focusing on what you've done to your body, but you're not focusing on what Jesus's body has done for your spirit. They were just focus on, I think what Paul was trying to say is if you were to focus on the point of circumcision was to be talking about this this quickening of the spirit that, that actually creates peace. It creates, it creates relationships. It, it opens doors. But if you're only focused on what you've done to your body, well, you see what that's done. It's created nothing but division. Not only are the, is there horizontal alienation, but there's also vertical alienation, and he talks about that barrier that we've built with others, and the barrier that we've built with God. And there's several mentioned here, and we'll get to those uh, in in just a couple of minutes. But the important, I think, the important big picture issue here in this passage is that a distance that occurs apart from Jesus and the unity that we can share when we are in him. That apart from Jesus, we can't help but be racist, prejudiced, hateful, strife, war. All of these things, all of these things are not the problem. These things are symptoms of another problem. And I know this is not going to be popular, but I know that racism is a big issue of our day. You cannot solve racism apart from Jesus because it's a byproduct. If we try to fight that fire, it's gonna fail without Jesus because that's the reason it occurs is because we're distanced from each other because we're not bringing peace into each other's lives. We're focused on the externals. And that listen, that includes the body of Jesus Christ too. We're just as guilty as anybody else. Am I saying that I'm for racism? Of course not. But let me tell you something. If you have a quickened spirit and Jesus Christ is ruling in your life and you're looking to be a channel of blessing from his kingdom into this one, we don't have to solve racism. It solves itself. Uh, Let's see, let me read this. uh, In parentheses, I have pause for amen, so I'll just wait on that one. See, it's, it's part of the sinful human nature to build barriers. Uh, and, and we do that because we're afraid that you'll find out my sin. Or we're afraid that you'll find out my true nature and my heart, and what I think and what I feel and how I act. And so, you know, there's two reasons that you have a fence. There's two reasons that you create a barrier. And one of them is uh, to keep things out, right? The other one is what? really loud, keep things in. That's right, keep things in. So it doesn't matter which reason that that you build a fence. The only reason that I bring that up is a fence to keep in your self-preservation or to keep out all the dogs of this world and their filth. Fences have got to go. And they can only go in Christ. It's the only way the fences are remedied. Because now I don't have to worry about self-preservation. I don't have to worry about being protected from the filth of the world around me. So we, we tend to really focus on, and they were focused on it too, uh, out of nature. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of the issues. But, you know, they were focused on identification You know, are you identified as a slave? Or are you identified as free? Are you identified as a man? Or are you identified as a woman? Are you identified as rich? Or are you identified as poor? Are you identified as educated? Or identified as uneducated? Are you identified as a Jew or everybody else? Or are you identified as a Greek or everybody else? The Greeks were so proud of their culture that they considered everything else a barbarian. Paul addresses that many times in his writings especially when he was writing to uh, Roman citizens in in Rome and also to the church at Colossae so it the, the, the same thing The same thing was true of the Jews too i 've already talked a little bit about that from but this't this, this wasn 't just a new problem that Christianity had caused. in fact, Christianity exposed the problem that had existed for a long time. in fact, up till now it 's lasted for about four thousand years because Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac and that 's been the issue for four thousand years, and four thousand years later, the struggle has only become worse. Almost the whole world takes sides between Israel and Palestine. And all of it has to do with these barriers that were created because of the refusal or the misunderstanding of the blessings of God himself. And all of these divisions and all of this strife between people is just a result of sin. Not just sin, humanity, because we're born in sin, right? We don't have to sin to, now we all have, we don't have to sin to experience that separation. I mean, if you want to talk about being separated from God, just breathe. Just breathing creates separation from God. We're born that way. We were conceived that way because of the sin nature. But Jesus came to remove from us all the results of sin and separation in all of its forms. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what two of these forms are and what Jesus did to take care of them. So here we are in Ephesians 2. We're going to get back to it. The first change that Paul talks about is the change we talked about it last week and the week before, the change in the individual. So all of these gifts and all of these blessings from the Father, the Son and the Spirit, all of those all of those can change me from the inside out. This week's a little bit different. This week isn't about the individual blessings and gifts. This Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about this new identity as individuals and how we become one with everyone who identifies with Jesus Christ. We're talking about a corporate identity now. I want to take just a second and explain something that I've been uh, sharing with my discipleship group now for a number of of weeks. And I I want to just share, I wanted to get into our DNA so we can at least talk about it some. I want to talk about the nature of channeling the blessing out. Uh, and I want, I want. If you need to take notes, I want you to take notes because I want us. I want us to talk about this because we've got to understand. I want to give a uh, some kind of a, a track laid down so that we can understand this. The first thing that is important is this individual identity in Christ. We must learn who we are and all of the blessings and the and the manifestations of those blessings and what it looks like in our everyday life. This is paramount to everything else. And so once I know who I am, and this isn't true necessarily for everyone, but I want, I want everybody to, to listen to uh, the institutions that God gave us to practice our faith. The first institution that God gave us other than ourself is our homes our families, and the people that we gather close for for most. I think we're probably talking about a spouse and perhaps children, at least for some time of our existence, children at home. And that doesn't last very long, by the way. But at what time that it does, this is where we should have unconditional love, right? In our homes, the people that we gather, if you're not married, that's fine. There are still people that you gather into your close circle where you don't wonder if you can trust them or not. There's just this complete abandon. Maybe you have to go back to parents or to siblings to think about those people that really doesn't require any risk for you to practice your faith, to to forgive and not to be offended when they say something. What did you mean by that? There's not really as much strife in those close relationships. And I think there are fewer and fewer of those in our world, which has caused a lot of dysfunction in people's abilities to trust. That's why God chisels away at family, uh, Satan chisels away at family, because he does not want us to experience that kind of intimacy with people. Be aware. I think if if we know that those loves are a target, we might do a better job at trying to protect those as we can. Sometimes we can But the next layer institution that I think we're all but forgetting is the layer of church. So, for instance, if I come to church, there's a group of men in here, uh, and every man, I would say, that I know that I believe are Christians and seeking to be one with God and seeking to put the fruit of the Spirit and the uh, gifts of the Spirit to work in their life Listen, guys, I know you're not perfect, but, but there should be some evidence that we're working together and we're struggling together. And so I may not risk much when I share my heart with my wife because I know she loves me and I, and I love her and I'm capable of being vulnerable. But when it comes to you guys, I know you mean well. I know that you believe in the value of trusting and forgiving and encouraging. But I also know, because I know myself, that sometimes there's a little bit of failure there. And I've been hurt before. So while I should be able to trust you completely, I'm a little guarded. I'm a little guarded. And so I will come this far, and I may even come further with others, And to be able to share some hard things and trust. And maybe even as James chapter 5 says, even from time to time, confess sin and not worry about judgment. But process through life together. It takes a little more risk than in my home. But the church is a valuable place to practice. God gave it to us. That's what church should be. Listen, church, I might regret saying this. Church is not supposed to be a place we come to on Sunday morning and hear one guy's opinion about stuff. It's a place where we come and we share our life with people that we're learning to trust Learning to be vulnerable with each other. That's what church is supposed to be. That's what fellowship is. It's coming together to talk about what God is doing in my life. I need you to pray for these things that I see God's doing. What do you think God is trying to teach me in this moment? And we're trying to bring as many people into that family as we possibly can. I'm not trying to bring everybody into my family at home. But I am trying to bring everybody into my family at church because I want the world to be able to experience what the kingdom looks like here when we're together. That's what the church is supposed to be. Now, once we are right with God ourselves, and we are right in our family and able to share, this is gonna come up in a few weeks, and we're able to lead our family to God and every day, not just a decision, but every day and we're able to look and love more like Christ every day in a very self, uh, safe place to trust and then we're coming together and we're giving that, that encouragement that I get at home to one another. Now I'm risking at a higher level but I'm also willing to risk at even a greater level when I go to the fence beside my house. And I talk to my unbelieving neighbors when I go to the store and I run into people that aren't like me. When I'm driving up and down the road and I'm in, in, engaging with the people of the world. Let me, let me say this very, very clearly. If you think that you're going to have a min, ministry out there and bypass all the practices that God gave us, you are believing a lie. I mean, it ain't nobody going to start in the game if you don't go to practice. Why is that? Because you don't know the plays. You're, You're just lying to yourself. If you think you're ready for out there when you haven't developed muscle memory in here and over there. So my encouragement is to us is that we not blow past the benefit of the local church, and my fear is, is that, and COVID has exacerbated this greatly, is that we've turned church into a place to come and spectate, a place to just come consume content, but not a place where we relate with one another. Where we come and we learn one another. There's people in here we don't even know their names. It's not a church. That's a conference. So I want that to to really sink into us because there are benefits to the individual believer and you are recipients of that. But don't be a recipient of the benefits of being in a relationship with God and then moving directly into the world and think that you're going to have much Benefit All you're going to have is strife or or you may hold yourself off and build fences to protect yourself from those people that we were blessed to bless. And I know it's hard. And I know one of the reasons that it is so hard is because there's not one person in this room who couldn't raise their hand if I said, have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Yeah. So you know what? We're gonna be a little careful of who we trust and who we talk to. So you know what? I'm happy just coming to church and never knowing anybody's name. We just know our identity is in the church. This isn't this isn't just something we do to keep strong individually. This is something we belong to because it should create a craving for the world to want to belong to it as well. And my fear is that the church does not create a craving for the world to desire it. I'll go another step and say, I I don't think that the church can do anything about it until individuals do. Because that's who the church is, individuals. The church can't do that for you. That's gotta be a step where we say, you know what? You're right. I've gotta find my people here. Even if I don't like, even if I like some of those people better, I've gotta figure out how to create that here. I've gotta find people that I can start practicing relationships with so that I can get better at learning to tell my story. Listen, if you're not sharing your testimony with one another, I know you're not giving your testimony out there. Because we're not practicing it, it's probably not even on our mind much. Now we we'll just go to church Sunday. That'll be, that'll be plenty. As long as we can stay strong personally, that's not why you were blessed. Okay, seems like I'm angry. I'm not, I promise. It's that there is this tension that I feel like Paul builds when he begins to talk about this division that's created and there are people who already know better and there is a little bit of a, man, we know better. It's like when we get angry at the Jews for not, I mean, how in the world could Jonah not want to preach to the Assyrians? How in the world when Israel is going from city to city and from country to country, their job, why do you think God took them to Egypt? Slavery. No. So that the Egyptians may know that there is a God in heaven. But they they didn't. They wouldn't. Why did they go to Babylon for Nebuchadnezzar? But they wouldn't. They just kept focusing on themselves all the time. And I'm, I'm really afraid that God's people are doing that again. And I believe that there is a persecution coming to get the attention of God's people. Alright, so that's Ephesians two, eleven through twelve. The one aspect of this that Paul wants us to focus on in Ephesians two, eleven and twelve is the hostility that existed, the natural hostility that exists. You don't have to do anything for there to be a barrier. There's naturally barriers. So anywhere in your life that you see a barrier, anywhere that you read the paper, watch the news, whatever the case may be, where you see people segregating and holding themselves off and you see the vision, just always know this. It's because there is an absence of the gospel at the core of that issue. The gospel is always the answer to the barriers. Okay, so uh, Ephesians chapter two verse eleven. Did you know this is the only place in Scripture where we're called to remember the past? That's the first thing that I want that I want to draw out to you. Therefore, remember, remember that you. You remember last week we talked about that. We talked about the blessings of the individual that we needed to go back and we remember who we used to be. Uh, there's some benefits to doing that. Now, yes, I know Paul told the church at Philippi, you know, don't go, you know, forgetting those things which are past. And and there is an element where we are he's not calling us to go back and remember and walk in the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of that He's telling us to go back and remember because it's like, man, I remember how it feels to be lost. I remember how it feels to be angry. I remember how it feels to be emotionally in pain. I know how it feels to be emotionally separated from God. I remember what depression feels like. I remember the anxiety of worrying about everything and trying to control everything. I remember that. And when you do remember that you used to live like that, it's so much easier to be soft and gentle and humble and to walk in humility When you think about all of the rest of the world living like that now. So remember that you used to live like this. Actually, that word in the original uh, Greek is an active imperative. uh, Which, you know, in layman's terms just means it's a command. It's the only time we're commanded to remember. Remembering is a wonderful gift. We need to remember sin because i can tell you if we didn't remember sin we would be doomed to repeat it we also need to remember all of the stories all of the stories all the narrative of scripture where god god revealed himself and proved to help his people to work on behalf of his people all right so here we are these back back to chapter 2 verse 11 here's the six things that I think Paul is telling us these are the things we should remember Gentiles in the flesh you recall them sir called the uncircumcision by the circumcision there's the divider circumcision made the flesh by hands uh, so you know he's kind of gigging them a little but the first thing we look at verse 12 <clears throat> Uh It says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You know, so in verse 11, we see that they are without respect when it comes to the Jews. So the Gentiles who are new into the church, being ran by the Jews, are not being respected. So remember who you used to be when you were uncircumcised, even of the heart, disrespected. Disrespected. Number, uh, second one, in verse 12, that you were without Christ. That word Christ is the Greek equivalent. Christos is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. So what he is truly saying here is that you were without the Messiah. It It just simply doesn't mean that they don't possess him. It means that they're unaware of him, that there is no road to the Messiah. You know, the Messiah belonged to the Jews. And so you were without any hope of the Messiah, not only Were you without Christ? But the second one is that you were strangers, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So God placed the means of blessing with the gospel within the Jews. The Messiah, of course, we know is the only hope. And the Jews conveyed that message by the way they lived their everyday lives, by by their feast days, by their law, even by the clothes that they wore, by the way the temple was designed. Every clue about the coming Messiah was found within Judaism. There were no clues outside of Judaism. So not only were you without respect, you were also without Christ. And now you're without a clue. You don't even have a clue of how to get to the Messiah. I mean, there was special blessing, there was protection, there was the law, there was covenants, there was the priesthood, the sacrifices, the promises, the days of atonement, all the guidance, all the miracles. You were completely clueless. The fourth item to remember is very similar to that. It says strangers from the covenant of promise. So I think what, God is saying, or what Paul is saying through inspiration of the Lord, is that God never made any covenants with Gentiles. The only way we know God's covenants is covenants with the Jews. You go all the way back to Abraham again. God, you know, God would bless the Jews that blessed them and cursed the, the ones who who didn't. And so, what the Jews did is they hoarded all the blessing, and the Gentiles were considered strangers and aliens. And the Jews never let them forget it. We are God's chosen people. I mean, how many times did they say that to Jesus? When, uh, you know, do you not know we're the children of Abraham? So before they were Christians, they were without respect, they were without Christ, they were without a clue, and they were without any covenant. Back to verse 12. Terrible one. That because of all of those withouts, they were also without hope. They were without hope. Uh... So let me remind you of what hope is. If I'm, if I'm standing in the middle in this present moment, I have belief in God. Not just that he exists, I trust him. Why do I trust him? Because I can look back in my life and I can see every time that God showed up. I can see every time that my parents tell me about a time in their life when God showed up. I can go back for generations and generations and give you story after story of when God showed up in my family. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you the times that I've prayed and I've seen God intervene, sometimes miraculously. I've seen God do a lot of things in my life. I have seen God's faithfulness. I, I can go back further than that. I can go all the way back into Scripture. These are my stories now, and I can read them, and I can believe them, and I can trust them. And so, because I have belief today and trust in Him today, because of the faith, faith looks backwards. I can believe today because my because I, my my trust looks backward, and that's called faith. All right. So when I have that faith. I trust in God today, and when my trust looks forward, that's called hope. Well, they were without hope. Why? Because they didn't have any faith. They didn't have any faith because they don't have any history. They don't have any stories. When, when the Jews start talking about Abraham, the Gentiles are like, but we don't have an Abraham. When they start talking about the, even the Jewish Messiah, we, we don't have a promise. All the prophets, we don't, we don't have prophets. What about the temple? We, we got millions of temples. We don't have the same stories. And so if I'm going to have hope, I'm going to have to have, it's going to have to be tethered to trust, and that trust's got to be tethered to faith. I don't have any. They got no history. They got no stories. They got no people. And finally, they are to remember that they are without God in the world. A term in the Greek is the is the term atheos, which is where we get our word atheists. Now, obviously, the Romans, the Greeks were not atheists. They had plenty of gods. The, the word that Paul uses, and there were other words that could be used, but the reason that Paul used this word is to kind of drill in that there's only one and you don't believe in the one God. You can believe in anything you want, but that not that's not theism. That's not deism. That's not belief in a, you know, you believe, well, I believe in a piece of wood. I believe in a stone. I believe in a temple. I believe in a marble monument. That, that, those are not gods. You are without God in this world. Not only do you not have him to come, but there is a God for this present world too. Listen, I think there's a, a, sub, a sub-teaching here that I'm just going to barely highlight And that is for those of us who have given our life to Christ and we keep waiting for God to be in our future in heaven, you're waiting too long. Because you can actually have God in this world too. He's not just a benefit in eternity. Eternity's already started for those that are in Christ. It's really important for us to remember. There's a lot of benefits in just walking with God here. So those are the six things that Paul reminded them that they were. They were without respect, they were without a Messiah, without Christ, without a clue, without covenants, without hope, and without God. And the absence of those six things has caused selfishness and fear, leading to pain and enmity and hatred and discord between people. Because the Jews had kept the blessings. So the Jews could get really angry at the Gentiles because they were They were dogs. I mean, they were awful. They were torturous savages. Do you know why they were? Because the Jews had kept the gospel from them. So if you want to get angry at the world around you, do it. But you better look in the mirror. Because you know why the world still acts the way the world acts? Because you've been keeping the gospel from them. Because the gospel clears all that up clears it up in your life. It'll clear it up in your home. If there's discord in your home, try the gospel. If there's discord in your cubicle at work, if there's discord on your neighborhood, you need, you need to man, be the man or woman of peace because I promise you the gospel puts an end to discord. And instead of building a fence to keep all those people out, maybe we need to knock the barriers down and quit being so afraid of sinners because you used to be one. We used to be one. This is who we used to be. Every time Paul lists a bunch of sins, you know what he ends with? Oh, don't forget. As you were some of these. You've got to remember that. You've got to remember it. Some Christian Jews believed that some of these Christian Gentiles were Christians. Oh, in lesser form but yeah okay you're a Christian but you're not we were here first <clears throat> and here's what Paul is Paul's neutralizing all of that this enmity between people this, this pecking order of who's important who's, who's closer to God and who's not closer to God just know this Christian God loves you as much as he loves the deepest darkest sinner right now it's the same exactly the same if you think god loves you just a little bit more than he does the worst of the worst he doesn't see jesus jesus does away with all division in fact i don't want this this is not a full teaching on this so just Hear, hear it for the point, and then we're going to move on. But this is why so many times Paul says, God doesn't see slave and free anymore. He doesn't see rich and poor. He doesn't even see men and women. There are no distinctions. Now, we see those orders, but those orders are here for us to be able to grapple with how to overcome those as our identities. You know why there's gender issues in the world today? The absence of the gospel. Because we're trying to identify With things that instead of identifying with Christ, which is our sufficiency, we're constantly trying to find which box do we fit in. When I'm with this group, I'm in this box. And when I'm with that group, I'm with that box. And the boxes are not going away and they're not getting easier. They're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Wonder why? I'll tell you why. Because Satan wants to hold us off with as many fences around us as he can get. All right. I'm almost finished. I did not mean for this to take that long. Truly, almost finished. But I want us to look at verse 13. And I'm going to just plow right through this. <clears throat> I told you a couple weeks ago that the best two words in all of the Scripture was but God. Right? Well, here's the second best. But now. Remember who you were. But now. Look at this. Now. In, not because of, in Jesus Christ Christ you who were once far off Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Not, does, not give us peace or show us peace. He is our peace. He, who has made us Jews and Gentiles both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Quit calling yourself a Jew and quit calling yourself a Gentile and start calling yourself the church of Jesus Christ. You are a new people now. Quit identifying with what you used to be. Remember, because it causes you to be soft, but forget it. Walk in your new identity. How is he breaking down? In his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in, listen, not for, in himself, one man in place of the two. So when Jews and Gentiles are right with God, and by the way, you can put any identifier, Jews and Gentiles is not much of a thing anymore around here. You can put any identifier you want to, any any uh, division possible. Put it down there. But when we are in Christ, He has broken the divider. There are no barriers. There are no levels. So look at this. He create in Himself. One new man remember what Paul was trying to tell them is that what God is doing is is creating a unity bringing all things into himself through Jesus Christ and what does that do so making peace when Jesus dropped the divider so making peace everywhere you go you should be taking the gospel in word in heart and in action in spirit in mind and in your flesh you should be taking the gospel and everywhere you go you should be bringing peace. It might reconcile us both—that's Jews and Gentiles—to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, all of the hostility, all of the separation, all of the division, all the enmity went to rushed to Jesus Christ while He was on the cross. This next part is super, is super cool. I want you to pay attention to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. at you Gentiles. You, those of you without a clue. Those of you who couldn't see the Messiah from here. And peace to those who were near. What did he preach to those who were far off? Peace. What did he preach to those who were near? Same message. Peace. for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God listen to this, this is what he gives them built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets now you have a history You know what? The Jews are going to share all their prophets, all their histories, all their covenants, all their laws, all their special days. You get all of it. All of it is one big story now. Not Gentile stories, not Jew stories, God stories. Everything in whom the whole structure, everything under the umbrella of God being joined together, that's engrafted. Not only to Christ, but also to one another. Understand this. When we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we didn't just get engrafted. We share the same roots. They're not new roots. And it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Not a a temple made with hands. We are the dwelling place of God's presence. We are the revelation of the Shekinah glory of God. We are where he dwells. And when we are together, he is in the midst of us. What a shame that we don't know each other's names. And we walk by each other at Walmart and don't recognize each other. We don't take the greatest benefit that God ever gave us together. Oh, I'm benefited individually. But God has given us such a collective gift of one another of trust, of understanding, of respect, and how we can help each other, point each other, and use our collaborative effort to reach those that are outside of all these wonderful promises. Verse 22, and I'm done. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God lives in us when we're together. So as individuals, you need to remember who you are. And corporately, we need to know who we are. Who we? We? Everybody say we. I'm just afraid that we come in here, we get hyped up, and we go out as individuals. We don't talk about Jesus in our homes. We don't talk about Jesus with our families. We don't talk about we want we want somebody else to teach our kids this and share. You know, we feel I don't have time to go into all of that. God has given us every resource, every tool to be able to practice in ourself. Perfect that in our homes. Perfect that in our church. To be a shining example of his radiant presence when we're together. To create a kingdom, not just in a worship service. I mean, how is the world capable of seeing this? But when we're serving, when we're building, when we're collaborating, when we're working and striving together to bring peace in this world. The world will see that when we work together. This is how they will know that the Father has sent the Son, our love for each other. So let me encourage you this morning. Remember who you are. Take a couple of extra seconds and just fall into each other. Learn to trust. And be trustworthy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning and I pray that you would, uh, you've been trying to teach this to us for 2,000 years and beyond. And I pray this morning that we would maybe hear it with different ears. Maybe, maybe our times are different. Our circumstances are different enough. So I just pray that you would remind us, because we didn't even know how far we were. We didn't know we didn't have a clue. We didn't even know what the puzzle looked like. And so Lord, I thank you so much for what you've accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ and the raising up of a cross destroyed the fence. So Lord, help us to be free. Help us to be free. Help us not to be caught up in who we're trying to become, but get caught up in who you are in us. And that's easy to say. Lord, I just pray that as we are have opportunities to engage people, as we have opportunities to listen and to notice and to hear and ask the right questions and pray, perhaps someone would see the kingdom in us. And as we partner together to reach our neighbors, as we walk the streets of our town together to reach our neighbors, Lord, that maybe maybe somebody would see something in us that looks like you for your glory. Lord, thank you for what you've done. And, I, and as we look around the world, there is a lot of work to do. So use us, Lord, use us. We commit ourselves to your purpose. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? And I know that you know. Sometimes when you hear messages like this, and they're not, they're not a story, and they're not, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, it's really easy to to get maybe a little tense and you know, you get to the end and you're like well what, what am I supposed to do with all that well I bet the spirit would reveal that to you you may be thinking about somebody in your life it may not be a Jew Gentile thing it may not be a Christian Muslim thing it may not even be a black and white thing but it might be but there may be, there may be an area of your life that could use your peace but you need to be at peace He is our peace. He doesn't give it. He is it. So if you're not in him and in the cross with him, identifying with that, dying to yourself daily, you can't give peace. You don't even have it. So just pray that God would... Maybe God would just give us a picture of a person's face or maybe a name or something, some identifier that we could start praying toward and watch him start moving, softening our hearts to soften the hearts of others. God, where do you want your peace to go and send me? So I want you to take just just a moment and just pray that the Lord would direct us to be instruments of his peace, instruments of his Son that we would learn to collaborate together not just in our friendship groups where it requires even less risk but that we would slowly increase our risking for the kingdom our vulnerabilities Lord we thank you so much for the promises that we have thank you for thank you for Paul and his ability to listen to you and to break down these barriers because of, of all people to tell us about barriers. Thank you for his example. And Lord, as we set an example of breaking down barriers, I pray that you would use us in our neighborhoods, use us in our in our city. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all of these things that we have in Christ Jesus. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for bringing them to this fellowship. And I pray that we would be a fellowship that is that is passionately, compassionately in love with each other. And that love looks like Jesus to our neighbors. Lord, with your direction, your wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.